Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today realized he didn't like working for his father or working with his father, whichever one, and uh, and started experimenting with different things. And then finally, when he discovered Amazon, he thought, this is it, this is what I'm going to do. And that was five years ago. Today, he's a seven-figure Amazon seller, and his focus is in sports and outdoors category. And when he's not working, he loves golf, fishing, traveling, and few other things. So, you know, when you listen to this, you think you're dealing with somebody like 45 years old, and he looks like 18. Those who are listening, you're not seeing him, but uh, having done so much. So with that, everybody meet my guest, Trevin Peterson. Welcome to the show, Trevin. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Oh, nice to have you here. And, uh, you know, I I wonder how your father felt when he, when you broke the news to him said look I don't like working with you anymore you, you know he was supportive and he is an entrepreneur himself I mean he owns a, his own construction business so he understood kind of my passion and he supported me all the way through it so I love him for that yeah I mean that's the best thing you can do you know uh, just before we start our conversation I had a guest earlier and he said to me, you know, I've always been fearless. I would always get in trouble, hurt myself. She says, by the time I was five years old, I had already been to the emergency room 20 times. And uh, so I said to him, so as we were talking, he said how fearless he is, how he starts businesses, how takes on anything. And then I said to him, you know, I have something to ask. When you fell down, hurt yourself, you know, you start crying, right? And some parents start telling you off, you know, why did you do that? How many times I, you know, right? That's how some parents are. I said, were your parents like that or were they? No, no. He says, I never remember anything like that. I say, you see, that's what made you fearless because no matter how badly you hurt yourself, your parents never gave you a hard time. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, my, my dad, definitely. My mom was maybe a little bit more on the other side of the spectrum, but I think it was a good balance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in your case, I mean, you, being an entrepreneur, he knows that he has to support you because you're going to need all that energy in order to drive your business. And he doesn't, he didn't want to be like a negative kind of uh, effect on you. So that's great. So tell us five years you are seven-figure seller in sports and outdoors category. So what brought you success? I mean, there's a lot of things. So tell me, uh, the, the, pick the important ones and then give us one by one. Yeah, I would say probably the most two important, probably product research and getting reviews. So what I'm hearing is you want to pick what to sell carefully. And we'll that, absolutely, that's one of the yeah. most important parts to the entire Amazon process. Yeah, and then make sure that whatever you're selling uh, gets good reviews. Of course, that's a loaded situation because reviews come from orders, 
orders come from reviews so that's a bit of a, a catch 22 that you get over uh, but outside product research getting reviews uh, what else Listing optimization is uh, one thing that has really helped me kind of excel to that next level. So listing optimization obviously goes alongside, you know, that's a follow-up to the research you've done because when you're doing the research, you've identified certain keywords and things like that, right? They become part of the listing. Yep. And, uh, and then what else? I mean, there's one thing that has helped a lot as of late, and that's getting some external traffic just to kind of increase some sales instead of solely relying on Amazon PPC. Okay. So um, to summarize, doing your research and then doing your uh, homework to get reviews and then getting your listing properly built and driving external traffic so that you don't rely on PPC. Yep. Those are pretty much the ways to get you started to be successful, right? Because there is a lot more that goes into building the operation. Uh, so what I want to do is let's dissect these four things, you know, uh, during this uh, episode so that people get a good idea on how they get to be successful. So let's start with the research. So walk us through your methodology for research. Yeah, so I try to take it from a different approach from kind of most people. I feel like this is where most Amazon sellers struggle is, hey, there's no products to find. I can't find a product. And if I was paid a dollar for every time I heard that, I'd be rich. <laughs> so the, the thing that I tell people is like, look, you've got to think a little bit different and as Amazon sellers, and it's kind of a curse where I'm at now is my brain is just completely shifted into different atmosphere, different, I don't even know what to call it. My, my brain just thinks different than a normal person. And that's where I've seen a lot of my success when it comes to product research. So I'll kind of step back and kind of explain that a little bit more in depth. And what I mean is you've got to think Amazon. I always tell people, think 24-7 Amazon. And you will be shocked at what's in front of you, the things you see on social media, the things that are in your house, the things that you order yourself. You will be shocked at what you could potentially sell on Amazon. So as I kind of changed that perspective, things became a lot easier when it comes to product research. And the best part is now that I've trained myself to do it, I've created almost a product research army where I have my family, I've got my mom, my dad, my wife, my brother, sister, friends sending me products almost on a daily basis because now they're trained and they're like, oh, Trevin, I found this product. Do you think you could sell it on Amazon? And they don't sell on Amazon, but they know that I do. And so they send me product ideas. So that's one little thing that I kind of have started to, to kind of do is just train myself, train my brain to think, how it, it, does this product have potential to sell on Amazon? So you, 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 you created an environment for yourself to completely emerge yourself in the Amazon world in order to see if something that you run into is saleable on Amazon. How does that connect to the competitive research with number of competitors, search volume, and all that stuff? Do you 
how do you connect the two? Yeah, so that's a very, very important question. And that's obviously the the golden question. And that's obviously one of the most important parts of the process. So obviously it's first finding that idea. And then once you find that idea, you have to verify it. And there's a very like there's a series of kind of check boxes that I go through to make sure, like, hey, does this product have potential? What are the what's the search volume? What is the competition? How can I improve it? So the first kind of three things that I look right off the get-go is the competition. I look at the demand of the product. And then I look at, is there a hole in the market to improve the product to fix a problem? Or in other words, fill a gap that needs to be filled so that customers, when customers find my product, they're like, oh, this is what I need instead of my competition. So those are kind of the three main criteria that I'm looking at. How do you measure the demand? Is it number of units sold or dollar? So, so there's kind of two component components of the demand. There's the dollar amount sold. So you can look at kind of like the average revenue. And I want 10 plus people on that first page selling over $5,000 plus per month. And if you have that, well, you kind of have a general idea that, hey, there's demand for this particular product. And then the second thing is looking at the keyword search volume. We all know Amazon, it's a massive search engine. It's similar to Google, YouTube. People go with something like they're searching for something in particular and they search for iPhone phone case or slim iPhone phone case or whatever it is. And if you can find relevant keywords that describe your product, and if there's multiple keywords, this is where the best part is. There's more ways to describe a product than one. Like there, how, how do I explain this? There's more than one keyword that describes a product. So if you can find 10, 20 keywords that describe your product, and the search volume of that is adds up to over 10, 20,000, well, you know that there is also also additional demand. So those are kind of two key components to looking at the demand of a product uh, opportunity. So you, you look at the competition for that product. And when you plug in the, the keyword for that product, you have you know, the organic listings. You're looking at the organic, not the sponsored. Yep. Uh, 20 organic listings come up. Out of those 20 organic listings, um, you mentioned uh, 5,000. They have yeah. 5,000. Yeah, you want day. at least 10. I, and again, I say this, this isn't like the Bible. It's not set in stone. But if there is about 10 listings on that first page where they're doing over 5,000, then that's a good sign that there is somewhat demand. What you don't want to see is one or two sellers making up all of the revenue and you've got two sellers doing 20,000 and then all the other sellers are doing 500 bucks. If you do that, that's kind of a red flag. So you kind of want an even playing field where there's multiple sellers that are doing decent revenue numbers. And what makes it a decent? 5,000 is units for the whole month? No. So, so it kind of depends on, on your situation and your style, how much money you have to start to invest in the business. I mean, some people will look at a product that's doing $5,000 per month in sales as a massive win. Other people will be like, well, $5,000 is pocket change. I want something that's doing $30,000 per month. So it just all depends on what kind of product that you're going after and how much money you have to invest in your business. Because so many people are like, well, I want a product that's doing $30,000 a month, 
But the reality is, is if you find a product that's doing $30,000 a month, you're going to have to have a minimum of $20,000, $30,000 plus to invest to get that product up off the ground. Where if you find a product that's a little bit lower selling, let's say $5,000, you don't need as much invested. So it kind of depends on your situation and how much money you have to actually start the business, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, $5,000 is nothing. When you do a search, I mean, anybody can do any search at any point. It's going to bring up those 20 listings and you pull up Helium 10 X-ray and then you put X-ray on it. It's going to show you six digits for the whole month. And then they're going to show, uh, you know, 20 listings. So uh, let's say half a million dollars to be on the low side. Half a million dollars divided by 20 listings that's how much the, as you do the calculation, but then you can sort it and see who is doing the most sales. And that's where you are, you are saying that you don't want it concentrated on the first two sellers. You want it spread over maybe five, six sellers, right? That's what you are suggesting for starters. Yep. And and the thing is, if you do use the Helium 10 X-ray Chrome extension, you can look at like the, the top like averages, but it's easier just to go look at like each individual listing and see kind of where they're at. And you can sort it from largest to smallest and you kind of get a quick view of, oh yeah, there's a significant number of sellers that are doing, let's say 10K plus per month or whatever your number is. And again, I don't, when I say $5,000 or 10,000 searches or people throw out these numbers, that doesn't mean it can be less or more if it has to be exactly that. That's just kind of a general rule of thumb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've gotten the, the product idea, you've done the research, you pull up and then you see you've got a good place. Um, what about, talk to us a little bit about that gap that you mentioned. So how do you how do you improve and, and how do you define the gap and how do you make, make sure that you are filling it? Yeah. So that's a huge thing that obviously I'm looking at. And there's a few components that I am looking at to see, okay, is there a hole in the market? And one thing right off the get-go is to look at the price disparity on that first page. This is something that will allow you to maybe be able to enter into the market. A lot of times you search for a product and on that first page, every single product is between 20 to $25. And there's only a $4 kind of price disparity difference. If that's the case, then it's kind of hard to be like, okay, well, maybe I can add more value and I could charge more, or maybe I should charge cheaper. And that's just not really the route that I want to go when it comes to uh, selling on Amazon. Don't want to get into any price wars. But if there's sellers that have a $20 price point all the way up to an $80 price point, there's a price disparity gap. So that's the first kind of good thing of like, okay, well, maybe I could improve my quality or I could do something and I'm not just competing solely on price. So that's the first thing. The next thing is looking at the reviews. Looking at the reviews is going to help you gauge of whether or not people like the product. Do your Does your competition have bad reviews? Do they have good reviews? What do the customers have to say about your competition's product? And this is something that's super important because you can then know with data from actual customers of what they liked about the product and what they didn't like. And then you can dissect that and break it down and be like, okay, well, they didn't like this, they like this, and then you can 
basically bridge the gap and bring the two together. And now you've got a, a product that is better than your competition. I see. So reviews are key. And so this is another thing. If you want to break it down and say, okay, reviews for the competition, you look at it and then you try to uh, learn from what people are looking for, how they are responding, and then make your product better. Um, and then once you launch your product, then you start to get reviews. This may be a good segue to uh, the review conversation. Uh, now you will get some not so favorable reviews, right? Yep. So how tell us about your take, how you use reviews once you launch. Yeah, so obviously getting reviews, we all know it's crucial. It's super important when it comes to being successful on Amazon. If you launch and your product has zero reviews, nobody's going to buy it. And then if you launch and your product gets a bunch of bad reviews, well, your product's going to die off and nobody's going to buy it. So sure. what we need to do is we need to focus on, okay, well, how do we get reviews, number one, and then how do we get reviews that are four and five-star reviews? And obviously, I, I, I don't like manipulating terms of service. I'm not promoting that at all because obviously you, Amazon has terms of service for a reason. And if you break it, they will basically slap your wrist and shut you down or do whatever they do. And so the first thing to kind of look at when it comes to reviews, and we just talked about the way to improve and differentiate the product is make sure that your product is better. If your product isn't better than your competition, then you're going to get worse reviews than your competition. So one thing that I like to do is I actually order my competition's product and get it in my hand and I hold it physically. And then I order uh, samples from my suppliers and I might order three, four, five samples from suppliers. And I'm going to compare and contrast and see if the product that I'm looking to launch is legitimately better. And if I can say with the fact like, yes, my product is better than my competition, then that is going to be one piece of the equation, one piece of the puzzle that's going to help me get more reviews and better reviews than my competition. So that's just like one little kind of hack that you can do is order your competition's product. Yeah. Um there is something also as a mindset. So, you know, whenever I'm working with my clients, there's a challenge. And I always say, look, every challenge is a mindset. By the way, I have a great saying that uh, I, I heard this somewhere. What is uh, easy today was once difficult. And what is difficult today will one day become easy. Love so it. it's a great perspective, right? So it, it says, so when you are thrown a challenge, uh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have to figure it out. So every bad review, how do you deal with it? You become upset, blah, blah. Of course, it hurts your ratings, but read it and then figure out how to make your product better. That's what the reviews are for. Those five-star reviews, four-star reviews, they're great to get you ranked and to get you convert much better. But those negative reviews are actually a lot more valuable because they will keep uh, you on your toes to make your product better and better, right? 
Yep. So that is the, the thing that I always tell people, just don't look at it as a bad thing. It's a good thing, except that you have to do something with it. <laughs> yeah. So, so to kind of add to that point, uh, obviously when you get a bad review, that sucks. And obviously we want to do everything to avoid that. So there's five ways. So like when I get a bad review and I have students that are like, oh, I got a bad review and they get all down and it's like, we'll go out and go get more good reviews and it will compensate for it. So there's five ways and I'll just kind of go real quick over the five different ways that you can go and basically implement in your Amazon business to help you get more reviews. Um, and the first one is the Vine program. So the Vine program is for anyone that's brand registered. You can enroll in it. And it, again, if you have a bad quality product, this is just uh, kind of a side note, you will get hammered with bad reviews because those, those Vine reviewers are brutal. So if you're going to enroll, enroll in the Vine program, make sure you have a good legitimate product. Um, uh, uh, this is uh, kind of a, in, in my opinion, one of the biggest hacks and best and easiest ways to get just amazing reviews. And what you do is when you launch a product on Amazon, you create an FBA offer and an FBM offer. So what that means is people can either buy from Amazon and Amazon will ship it, or they'll buy from you and you yourself will ship the product to the customer. And what you can do is if you're shipping the product to the customer, obviously you have to have it inventory on hand and you have to have all the stuff to ship the product. But what I do is I will create the two offers. And when I get FBM orders, which is not a ton, but people will still order via FBM. There's people and it's crazy that don't have Amazon Prime accounts. And so they end up buying from you because it's cheaper. And when you send that FBM order to the customer, you're going to go over and beyond to over deliver to that customer. So the first thing is you want to ship it quick. The second thing is you're going to write a handwritten note. Like when I say handwritten, like you take out a pen and paper and you write Thank you so much for your order. It means the world for our small family business. We appreciate your support. Thank you so much. And we would appreciate it if you would leave your honest feedback on our product. And just that handwritten note will go kind of that extra kind of mile and make that customer be like, oh, they took the time to write a handwritten note. And then the third thing that I do is I'll throw in just a little free bonus gift, whatever it is, whether it's a keychain, whether it's a sticker, whether it's a little pen, a gag gift, I don't care. Just throw in just a little something extra and the customer will be like, wow, this person actually cares, which will then lead to a good review. And that's something that I've been doing and it gets reviews and obviously it, it there's effort that's involved. You have to handwrite notes, you have to fulfill packages yourself, which obviously we do FBA and that's what we want to get away from. But to get reviews, that's a great little hack. Um, so that's the second thing. Do you want me to keep rapid firing the other, the yeah. other couple yeah, yeah. or do you want to add something to that? Yeah. Well, just a little thing. Vine program for those who don't are not familiar with it. Uh, you get to have up to 30 reviews. So that's what you're paying for. And I have a question for you on Divine, but you're going to be prepared to have zero revenue from that because the items will be shipped free. Yep. So that's the, the part. So if you have a high ticket item, you're selling watches and things like that, Vine is not going to be a, a viable option for you. So, and, and you get to have 30. Now, if you do have variations, you get to have 30 per parent. So uh, my question to you is, 
What is your strategy on variations? Do you create them as single listing, enroll in Vine, and then consolidate under one parent? Because 30, if you have three variations, you can have 90 versus only 30 on the parent. But then again, you know, it's much easier to promote from PPC standpoint, a single parent. So uh, do you have a preference? So, so with the Vine program, to, to your question, what I personally do is I'm just going to take a single um, like parent ASIN and I'm not going to separate them and then kind of combine them. Amazon could deem that as manipulation technically. I don't know if they'll catch it, but for me, I'm just going to create one. And to be honest, getting 30 reviews is plenty for the first kind of bit of launch. And then with the other strategies, you're obviously going to get more. So I'm just going to stick with just enrolling the 30. But like you mentioned, if you do have a higher ticket item, it just doesn't make sense from a financial standpoint. So what I'll do sometimes on a little bit higher ticket item is maybe I'll only uh, let Amazon uh, redeem 10 um, or let the Vine reviewers uh, claim 10 of them. So it doesn't cost as much for me out of my pocket. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the other question I have on the Vine program, when you go to Vine program as a brand registered seller, you go, you select uh, Vine and it, the first thing it will ask you is after you select the ASIN, how many pieces and you plug in 30. So do you know if you plug in, say, 20 and pay whatever and then enroll it, can you come back and then plug in another 10 later or are you done? That I don't 100% know. I, I I mean, I could go do it on my Amazon account because I just enrolled in a Vine program and I only did 15 because, it, again, it was a little bit higher of a ticket item. And I don't think you can go in and change and edit it, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I don't think you can, but that's an interesting one. Because what happened with me is I have a client and they sell low ticket item and I recommended Vine. And uh, I told them ship 72 pieces and we'll put 30 in Vine and then the rest we'll put on PPC and then we'll ship another one next week or you know a couple of weeks. So, well, they made a mistake and they only shipped 24 pieces instead of 72. So now the shipment arrives and I said, okay, what do we do? I said, Vine program immediately. That's what we need. So we're going to hold off on the PPC until the second batch comes. So they put the 24 in. Guess what? Overnight, the whole 24, gone. <laughs> That's incredible. And, yeah, I mean, overnight, it, it, I thought something was wrong. Uh, so what happened was we, they, they shipped. First of all, the shipment was received, received and became available for sale in five days. And immediately we put it in mind. And we come back the following day. They say to me, something is wrong. We have no inventory left. I said, no, it can't be. You should have maybe, maybe I'm thinking maybe they got five, six orders. And there should be maybe at least 10, 12 pieces. So no, zero. So we go, I pull up the orders. All 24, gone. And and the second shipment that they shipped three days later took three weeks. Oh, wow. 
So my question to you is, when does the honeymoon period start? Does wine count towards your honeymoon period? I mean, I think as soon as you activate your listing, I think that's going to be counting towards your honeymoon period. So for me, what I try to do, me personally, when it comes to launch is literally from day one, I'm turning on PPC, I'm getting sales, I'm turning on the Vine program, and I'm taking advantage of everything just literally right out the gate. And yes, you are going to bleed money. You're going to be in the negative for the first few weeks of launch. But in the long term, you're hoping that that's going to pay off and you organically rank, which if you can do that, then it's just going to pay for itself over and over and over for years to come. Yeah. And if you don't do it the way you described, you pay higher PPC, you get less of the uh, the share of your impressions and and you, you basically are fighting against your past. Yep. And, and that because they are calculating moving averages and that's what fighting against. So, okay. So that's the, the part. So let's continue on the reviews. So you said uh, you do five things. So Vine program is one. The second thing is you look at the reviews and then you use them. Yeah. Uh, the FBM orders. So creating the FBM uh, the listing, FBM, sending that off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one thing to note, uh, it's so many, it's, it's funny. Uh, everyone wants to get reviews and people are like, well, don't, uh, like wait to turn on PPC and wait to get sales until you get reviews. But it's like, well, in order to get reviews, you have to get sales. Um, and so for me, I'm like, well, yes, it kind of sucks because nobody wants to be the guinea pig and buy a product that doesn't have reviews, which is why the Vine program is is so so powerful. So the uh, the other three ways um, are thank you card inserts. So this is a great way just to, um, and I would say 90% of the top Amazon sellers, I do tests and I order from sellers from everywhere. Everyone has some sort of insert that says, hey, thank you for your purchase. Please leave a review. Um, and then another thing that you can do on that thank you card insert is uh, have them tag you via social media. So if you create a social media presence, um, this is something that I've been doing lately is building a brand on social media. And on that thank you card insert, you can say, hey, thanks for the order. Tag us um, in, uh, in, a, in a picture and we'll send you a secret discount or whatever. And then what will happen is those customers will tag you and they'll take a picture. You got user-generated content that you can then use for your website, for ads, or for whatever you want. But now you know this customer bought your product, and you can send them a DM, and you can say, hey, we appreciate your order. Here's uh, a discount for your future order or whatever. Um, and then a few weeks go by or a few days, you could follow up and just say, hey, how do you like your product? We'd appreciate if you left an honest review um, and left uh, feedback on your Amazon listing. So using inserts um, to remind the customer to leave the, the review, and then also to get them to tag you on social media is a great, powerful strategy to get reviews. Um, so yeah, that's the third one. So tagging for a discount, doesn't that count as a quick pro quo and get you in trouble a little bit? So, so the way that I look at it is you're not, you're not giving anything away in exchange for a review. So on that one, you're just saying, Hey, tag us on social media in exchange for a discount or whatever. And when they tag you, you're not giving them anything. You're not asking for reviews. You're not manipulating anything. And you say, Hey, thanks for the content essentially. And so you get that 
that customer to tag you, which is obviously going to promote other people to see your, your Instagram, your socials, your product, which hopefully leads to more sales. But then the, the, what happens is later down the road, a few weeks is when you can follow up and just say, Hey, we hope that you're basically just providing customer service. We hope everything is good. Let us know if you have any concerns and uh, we would appreciate it if you left an honest review. So it's kind of down the road. So it's not, Hey, I'm going to give you a discount if you leave a review. It's you're tagging us on social media. And as a result, here's a thank you. Here's the discount. Okay. So this is not just the one thing. It's a, it's a follow-up. When you send that message, you're sending that as a DM through social Yeah, media. via DM, um, depending on the social media that they're tagging you on, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram is my kind of preferred choice just because you have a little bit more control. Um, and if they tag you on that, um, you can just basically save that customer. Um, like you can flag them, you can screenshot them, put them in a database or whatever. Um, and then you know that, hey, they bought your product. And whether or not you follow up with them for a review, at least you know who bought your product and you got user-generated content from it. So whether you ask for a review, totally fine. You don't need to, but at least you're getting promotion um, of your product. Plus you're gaining their contact information, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that you can use in a number of different ways. You can ask right. them like, hey, what, what, like you can ask them, what can we improve? What would you like to see? What future products? Like there's so many different things that you can go in and basically do little, like little mini surveys and you can get good quality information uh, to know like what you should do next. Yeah. So, you know what we do with, with my clients, we have something that we do um, as, as part of our overall strategy. We call it the package insert strategy. The package insert has four pieces of content. So first of all, you want a real sophisticated looking package insert design and the kind of stock that, that you use for that. So you get that professionally printed and you put it inside your package and then send it off. It's inside the package. Not to mention all over your packaging, you should have your website address and everything else. So it's part of the packaging. Nobody's going to say anything. So, but on the package insert, there are four pieces of content we put in. First one is uh, on one side at the top, something that you share with the customer to get the most out of the product. For example, let's say you're selling pillowcases and just say, okay, the best way to use this pillowcase, you know, use this kind of detergent and then it will last three years longer or some, something along those lines. Uh, and, you know, so that way they get more out of the product than just what they would do ordinarily. So that's, that's at the top. At the bottom, we put a QR code in. And, and right above the QR code, you have to put a line of what they are, they are able to claim Thank you for being at your thank you note. Thank you for being a customer. And we appreciate your order. Uh, scan the QR code below and claim your free whatever. Yep. It's up to your imagination what you offer for free. But it has to be legit. So, and you're not asking for anything. You're just saying thank you for your order. 
here is to show our appreciation and claim your stuff. When they scan the QR code, they land on your website, on a page, opens up a form to put in your information in order for the company to send the free stuff. So now you've got the direct information. Guess what? Right at that moment, up comes a flywheel. Claim your discount. And you have up to 90% discount in the flywheel. They spin the flywheel. And if they haven't yet completed the form, of course, to, to spin the flywheel, they put their email address. And then the next thing is they spin the flywheel, bang, they get the discount. And as soon as they get the discount, bang, it starts counting that down. You have 30 minutes to complete your purchase. Then the code will expire. <laughs> so now you've got a potential upsell. You've got their direct information. And that's all on, this, on, the, on the first page. Turn it over. On the back, leave us your honest review. We appreciate your feedback, blah, blah. Leave us, and, and here is how. One, two, three. Three points. One, two, three. Log into blah, blah. You know, you have the instructions there. Yep. Uh, give us your honest review. And then right underneath, returning customer coupon. And you put your code, use this code in the next two months or whatever, and receive an extra 15% off on all our listings. Four pieces of content that goes into that. So from that, people, obviously a percentage of them will go all the way. And some of them won't do anything, but that's something that we do with every client. So that way you get every order, you get, you have the potential to get the review and also do upsell. So yeah. what do you think? I love that. So the, the only thing that I don't do, which I might implement is the coupon code for returning customers um, to say, Hey, here's a coupon code, because obviously we have the storefront. And you can use this coupon code for all of our products. I think that's a great addition, but I always have the QR code. And what I like to do is either have them scan for a free warranty. Um, customers love to have a free warranty. And the best part about that is like, if there's something legitimately wrong with the product and if it breaks or if it's something that happens, what they're going to do is they're going to reach out to us and say, Hey, I want to get uh, the warranty, I want to claim it. And then we're able to fix it immediately. And for me, the customer is the top priority. And that's obviously how Amazon has got so successful is they put the customer very first. And that's what you kind of have to do as a seller. And sometimes I, I hear a lot of new sellers, even some experienced sellers are like, oh, I don't want to give this person a refund or, oh, it's going to cost me $20 or, oh, it's going to be $30 or whatever. And it's like, no, that customer is your most important customer. You need to focus on them. And if you can create a good experience, it's going to be that domino effect. It's going to lead to better reviews. It's going to lead to repeat purchases. I mean, the list goes on. So I love, I love that strategy. Yeah. I mean, Zappos built a whole company, which ended up getting acquired by Amazon, which then stripped all the Zappos. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do it, but yeah, I mean, uh, the word of mouth is the biggest thing. So, okay. So uh, thank you, Card, and then also uh, asking for the review. So uh, what's next? On the yeah, so review? so the next one, and I kind of combined uh, the inserts with the Instagram, and then uh, like okay. what we just talked about. So that 
like there's like five different ways with an insert An insert super powerful, but the last way is the request to review automation. So this is super easy to set up. I think everyone should have it set up. You can use, I mean, there's dozens of softwares, Helium 10 seller board. Um, you link it to your Amazon account and basically you create this automation so that every time you get an order five days, seven days after the purchase, they go in and they hit the request to review button basically automatically. You can do this manually, but you can have a software just go in and request that for you. And again, just a simple reminder to the customer, it might, again, you might get a hundred orders and one person leave a review, but that's all it takes. One, one review can make all the difference. And so what you want to do is just set yourself up for success and do all of them. Because if one review comes from the request of a reviewer, if one review comes from the Vine program, if one review comes from the FBM orders, like it, it's just that compounding effect. So those are kind of my main strategies to uh, get reviews. Yeah. So requesting a review is, you know, Amazon added that button. So my question is, how does that work with situations where customer already left the review and now you're sending it again? I mean, is that factored into that clicking that button or do you have to have that yourself and know not to click it? Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure on the tech side of that, but I do know like there's certain filters that I have set up where if they've left bad storefront review, like if they left a bad review on your storefront, if they refunded, if there's a coupon code of over 30%, it won't request the review. So you can set up different filters and be strict with it so that when you are requesting the review, you know that, hey, they haven't refunded. They haven't left a bad review on your storefront. Um, it hasn't been just this massive coupon um, so that Amazon thinks you're mani uh, manipulating terms of service. So you can set up different filters. But in regards to your specific question, I'm not exactly sure if um, there's a way to if they've already left a review, if it wouldn't show, and I would think Amazon's basically backend software is smart enough that they wouldn't send a double um, request would be my guess, but I'm not 100% sure on that. So this was a big deal for me. So when I was an Amazon seller, so we would, we would request uh, reviews and, and I hit a CRM system. So, I sat down and built a whole, and those days it was possible to send emails. Yeah. Not, so, um, so what I did was I built a whole set of filters and the filters would simply say, okay, you know, they haven't already left a, a review. So that means exporting all the reviews, putting into a database and then saying, okay, make sure that, you know, there isn't one. And the second thing is they haven't requested a refund. Yeah. Third thing is that they receive, we were doing FPM. They received their order within X number of days. We shipped the order within X number of days. They haven't called because every call, every email would be tagged. They haven't. So basically we would strip it right down to those who had the best, the fastest delivery, the fastest <laughs> shipment, and no complaints whatsoever. 
and, and we would then run the mail merge and then send out an email to everybody. And within one hour, our rating would like jump. <laughs> so fast forward, Amazon adds that button. And I contacted Amazon and I said, is there any filtering in this? And they said to me, and also I said, there are two, well, for uh, two requests. One is for the product, the other is for the seller. So which one are you doing? What is this? Is this for one or the other? So their response to me was, it's up to you to do any filtering. So our job, the functionality, therefore, is just to, to make, send a request. That's it. You have to know whether or not you want to send a request. Uh, the second thing is we send a request for both product and seller. So, uh, and they said it goes out in multiple languages. So depending on where you're sending, where the seller, which is a plus. Uh, but bottom line, there was there, there was no filtering. I know you know there are tools that also do the messaging. That's a bit of a gray area since they made the change. I don't know if I'm comfortable enough to recommend those. I I'm I don't not, use I them anymore. Against, yeah, I don't recommend against them. I just don't know if you know would be wise to recommend because Amazon, you know how it is. Messaging is very important. I mean, for me, like one or two or three reviews, if you think that that's going to make or break your business by you sending these follow-up and blasting these customers, like for me, I don't think that's going to make it to where I'm a seven-figure seller. Like there's yeah. others, and, and that's why we have so many different strategies and there's multiple strategies. There's not just one thing is going to save everything. Right, exactly, yeah. Okay, great. So um, let's uh, dive in. So we, we we pretty much covered the reviews part, right? Yep. So talk about the listings now. So building the listing. So give us some, you know, direct points that we can take and then apply. Yeah. So for me, the most important part to the listing are the images. Um, the good old saying, an image is, speaks a thousand words. That is by far the most important thing. And that's what's going to get customers to click. I mean, customers and, and me, we're getting lazier and lazier and lazier. We don't want to spend hours reading descriptions and bullet points and just long-winded whatever that just is useless information. We need to keep it concise and display everything on our images. So for me, the images are the most important part and just kind of a few tips when it comes to images, the hero image, obviously the most important part. I see so many sellers just screw this up where they have terrible lighting. Uh, it's Photoshopped. They don't take up the entire page. There's white gaps all over the place. It's blurry. It just looks terrible. Pay somebody professionally to do your images is kind of the first thing. And then just some kind of tips when it comes to like your other uh, images, everybody talks about infographics, lifestyle images. Obviously those are just so important. One little hack that I like doing is swapping out images depending on the time of year. So certain products obviously have seasons. We're coming up on Easter. Uh, we had St. Patrick's Day. We have Valentine's Day. We have these major holidays, Christmas, 
Thanksgiving. So what you can do is you can custom tailor your images to a specific holiday. So if Easter is coming up and maybe your product is great and it is uh, a good gift for an Easter basket, show an image of maybe a mom or dad giving it to a kid and it's inside an Easter basket. And what that will do is it will kind of trigger the customer to think, oh, I can use this for Easter or, oh, this is applicable for 4th of July, or this is applicable for Halloween. So you can kind of rotate the images depending on the time of year, and that will help kind of increase the conversion rate. And depending on the shopper, they might be looking something specifically for that, and that could help. So that's one thing. The second thing that I like doing is a comparison chart. So we talked about at the very beginning when it comes to product research is finding a product and improving that product and being better than our competition. So if you did your research right, you should be able to have a comparison chart and you should be able to clearly display your product versus your competition. And you see this on Super Bowl ad commercials. You see this on commercials everywhere saying, hey, my product is better than XYZ brand. And you say, hey, this is why our product is better. And you just do check, check, check. We have this. Our competition doesn't have that. And that's another little kind of uh, hacker or pro tip for uh, listing images. Do you put that as part of your uh, pictures or do you put it in the A plus? Uh, nine times out of 10, it's going to be in my main Amazon listing. Because again, for me, if I can clearly display to the customer why my product is better, the benefits of the product and why they need to buy mine versus the competition, then I want that to be kind of at the forefront. And if they can see that, then as they're scrolling through and looking at my competition's product, they have that in the back of their mind and they're like, oh, well, this seller had this and this one doesn't. And so clearly displaying that I think is super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, A plus is good, but they have to scroll down. So if you can have it right where the pictures are, uh, why not? You know, there's something I heard today for the first time. I don't know if you've come across it. This apparently is not available for every category. When you do a search and search results come up, as you put your mouse over the pictures, video starts playing. Have you seen that? So... I haven't seen that, but on Shopify, like on my Shopify sites, when you hover over it, it swaps it to a lifestyle image. So they see, so if Amazon is doing that, that'll be awesome. That'll be amazing. Or oh, they, they change because as you know, they change the image management. So yep. now you have to, you have to upload the pictures that are coded and by way of coding, you're telling Amazon what this picture is for. Side view, they call it side, front, front one, front two, side, whatever. So I I haven't heard this, what you just mentioned before. So they they swap it with the lifestyle because they know. No, so, so that's on Shopify. So that's on oh. sh my Shopify website. I, and, and, and what I was saying is that if they're doing it on Amazon, that would be amazing. But what you're saying is when they hover over it, it shows the video. It, it, video starts playing. Okay. Yeah. So, so what I was saying is I haven't seen it, but I've seen it on Shopify and I can see how powerful that can be. Yeah. I mean, uh, you run video ads, right? Oh, of course. They're the best. <laughs> and they 
they convert like crazy. Yep. So I thought because video starts playing as you scroll down and it becomes visible. And this was, I thought the he was talking about the video ad. I said, you talking about the video ad? He says, no, no, no. The product picture in the search result, when you hover over it, it starts playing the video, your first video. And if they do that, it would be amazing. Well, and, and that would be, I guess, my last tip when it comes to listing optimization. There's thousands of sellers that don't have videos in their listing. And Amazon actually made it to where anyone, whether you're brand registered or not, you can upload a video to your listing. And I see so many people not taking advantage of it. And I'm like, why wouldn't you? And so yeah. now that the fact that they're changing this is an even bigger reason to put videos inside your listing. Exactly. And this is what I will always tell everybody. <clears throat> Imagine you were given a spot for free to run your commercial in, during Super Bowl. Would you take a, a video with your iPhone and make it up yourself and send it off? That is three minutes long. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? So you get it professionally produced. That's what you want your video ad to be. It needs to be professionally produced. Stop counting the pennies because this pays off big time. And if you do a good job, you hire somebody, you can have a 30-second video or 45-second, whatever, that would be the promo. And then you can have a 15-second version of it produced and then run that as video ads. And yep. it would be all one. I, I love that idea. Yeah. Every everyone, Everyone should be doing that. So Trevin, we can go keep going. This this conversation never ends, but we're going to run out of time. So before we run out of time, I want to get to know you. Uh, okay. So tell us, I like to learn right from the beginning, the whole story. Tell us, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was born and raised here in Utah, and I've been here basically my entire life. Well, so uh, Utah, I've never been. But so you must be into skiing. Yep. We have the greatest snow on earth. So I grew up skiing, snowboarding my entire life. So uh, you mentioned earlier that your dad is an entrepreneur. So you're a construction business. So tell us from the childhood integration into working for your dad, you know, growing up. So share with us some of those experiences. Was that natural or did he pull you and say, okay, that's it. You're working here or did you want to do it or what was that like? Yeah. So I think I'm kind of uh, the black sheep of the family in terms of like uh, entrepreneur. I I've definitely am more like my dad than I am my mom, for example. Um, and I've always had that passion. So as long as I can remember, I had a lawn mowing business. I had a poop cleaning business. I had a garbage can cleaning business. Every time I would make money, I would uh, go in and iron, iron the money because I just love the whole process of like, oh, I'm doing this and I'm getting money. And if I wanted something, I would set a goal and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to save this much so I can buy this. So I always had that kind of passion and hustle of like, hey, I want to make money to earn XYZ. I wanted a new iPhone or I want a new pair of sunglasses. And then that kind of transitioned to obviously me graduating high school. Um, going to to college, and I was going to to college um, and going into business management because I wanted to own my own business. And so I was like, "Oh, I'm going to go to school, and this is the route um, that I'm going to learn kind of the best." And basically, long story short, I started going to school, 
And I just didn't love the whole process. I didn't really like what I was learning. And I felt like I was basically learning a lot of stuff that I just learned in high school. And I was like, you know what, instead of paying, and and this was what went through my head. And again, I'm crazy. I'm not kind of your typical person. So again, this is just from my experience, I'm sitting in class and I'm adding up the numbers. Um, my wife always gives me a hard time. I Every time I go into a restaurant, every time I go into um, a sporting event, I start counting the people and I'm like, okay, they made this much money and I, I run the numbers. And I was doing this in school of like, okay, everyone here is paying thousands of dollars and we're paying to be here. And what am I learning? Like I, I could learn this on YouTube. I could learn this from uh, my, my mentors. I could learn this from my dad. I could learn this from someone else and not have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to be here. So I was like, okay, this doesn't make sense for me to pay to be here. So I'm going to do something different. And my kind of long goal was to always just work for my dad and potentially take over his construction company. So I was like, well, why would I be here if I already have a job? Like most people are going to school to get a job. And if I already have a job, well, I'm going to do that. So basically I quit, dropped out of school, started working with my dad. And then uh, a few weeks into it, I come to find out that I didn't really love the construction industry. And then that's what led me to starting different side hustles and different businesses, different ventures, which then led me to finding Amazon, which has changed my life. And I haven't looked back ever since. So that's kind of a nutshell version. Well, ironing the money as a kid. <laughs> I mean, where did you pick that up? I mean, is it is it because you love the money or you like the ironing or what, what was it? What was the attraction? It was, it was, I, I love the money and I loved like uh, my, my grandma would give us uh, $2 bills and they were crispy. They were clean. And I was like, this money is perfect. And then I figured out that I could iron it and I could make it nice and crispy as if it was a brand new dollar bill. So that was what kind of got me thinking of like, oh, I want to iron my money to make it nice and flat because a lot of people like wad it up and they crunch it. They run it through the uh, the washer and it just is not flat and crispy. And I wanted it clean and I wanted it. I'm, I'm very organized as well. So I kind of have OCD and I didn't want my stack of money to be unorganized. I wanted it to be flat. <laughs> so and how old were you then? Uh, I was probably 12. 12. So when did you become that way? And obviously it was before, well before you were. Yeah. 12. When did it, uh, when, when did you, at least what age do you think that you, you acquire those kind of tastes? I, I mean, it, it was probably as long as I can remember, I always had like, that mindset of like, Hey, I want to create an amazing life for my family, my kids, my kids, kids. Like I, I want to give them things that I couldn't have. And I grew up fantastic. My family was, was well off. Um, we weren't obviously the richest of the rich, but we had what we wanted. And for me, I knew that I wanted to give my kids a similar life to what I had and if not, give them something even better. And so that was kind of what struck that passion in me of like, hey, like I need to work for this and these things aren't free. And if I want to have a good life, like I'm going to have to do what other people aren't willing to do. And so that's kind of what started the whole thoughts of, of everything. So, well, I mean, and, and your, your parents supported you, they, you know, they back you up all the way. So that's it. 
it's a big deal. So a lot of the times, well, uh, some people don't even realize what they want in life and they try to figure out and uh, and those who figure out what they want, they get resistance from the family sometimes. So it's everybody is different, they different life experiences. But in your case, you knew what you wanted and you loved money and you love <laughs> what money represented, and you want everything. You wanted everything neat and tidy and clean. Uh, yep. And, well, well, that made you a seven-figure seller because Amazon is nothing. It's not <laughs> organized. It's not crisp. Everything has to be one hundred percent. So um, clearly, this is the right place for you. And uh, great, uh, Trevor. This is a great story. You're doing a good job. I'm sure that listeners. Uh, we'll definitely put some of your ideas to you. So this was a great conversation. So tell us, how can people reach you? Yeah, so the easiest way is if you just search my name, Trevin, T-R-E-V-I-N, Peterson, you, on Google, on Instagram, on YouTube, anywhere, you'll be able to find me pretty uh, pretty quickly. and Or you can go to trevinpeterson.com and you can see basically um, everything and you can reach out to me. So um, I'm pretty easy to find. I uh, would love to hear from you guys. And uh, I appreciate this opportunity to be on the podcast, Nick. Oh, I, I loved having you. Uh, so uh, we, I, first of all, the reason why this podcast is called Amazon Legends is because in my book, anybody who makes it on Amazon is doing legendary work because you get tested you get tested uh, your, in terms of your character, your resilience, your knowledge, your, you know, everything gets tested. And this is not for everyone. It's only for legends. So that's why this, this podcast is called Amazon Legends. I you love it. Example. That is, that is the best name. I, I, I think you're a legend. I'm a legend. Everyone oh, listening is a legend. Go, go crush it. Love it. Yeah, that, that is the case. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode. And share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.